Uh, again, we're continuing in this journey of the questions that Jesus asked. And so we're going to get into it late in this story. Um, we're going to look at an, an experience with Jesus from, from Mark 2. One thing that I find that continues to be true is that it is hard to welcome God's message when it doesn't match our expectations, when it threatens our power structures, or when it gives too much goodness to the undeserving. It's really, really hard to welcome God's message when it doesn't match what we expect, when it threatens the power structures that help us, uh, or when it gives too much to the undeserving. All right. And so, so we're going to look at a story where there's hints of all of that happening and kind of what we can do with it. Um, first of all, we need to know what is happening up to this point in Mark, because like I said, we're about to encounter a story that, that takes place in Mark 2. Okay, so, so it's really early in Mark's telling of the Jesus story. And, uh, and up to this point in the gospel, the beginning of chapter 2, there has been no conflict yet. Okay, so Jesus has come onto the scene. Uh, he's been baptized. He's gone out to the desert. He has invited some disciples to follow him. And he has gone on a healing tour, a, a journey where he has um, uh, begin, begun healing people miraculously. All right. Um, and and to, to do that was something that only a powerful prophet or man of God could do. Okay, that's, that's the, the biblical precedent for this. Um, so at this point, that's it though. He's had no run-ins with authority. He's had, um, he's had no conflict. He's had no accusations. Nothing like that. Okay, he's going around healing people and he's letting them know that God's kingdom is near. And honestly, at least as what we're told, everybody loves it. You know, um, there's joy in the message, there's joy in the miracles, all that good stuff, okay? So that's, that's kind of where things are at here. But then there's one thing that happens, and it continues in that line, but it sets up this story and why, why what's happening in this story happens a little bit. In Mark 1, and today I'm going to be using the New Living Translation because I think that's kind of a helpful way that they, that they word some things that I think is faithful, but it, it's, it's helpful for us today. Um, there's this little story that ends the first chapter of Mark where Jesus heals a man with leprosy, okay? So he heals this man with leprosy. It's miraculous. It's amazing. He tells him to go through all of the normal things because if you had leprosy, you were unclean and you had to be cleared before you could re-enter society. So the priest had to kind of clear you um, and say, yes, you no longer are infectious. You know, it's, you, like, we know this, right? A bunch of you have been through this. You know, you have to quarantine after a while, and then eventually you're cleared and you can go back into society. Um, but what he says to this guy is he says, go to the priest, but don't tell anybody. In verse 44 of, of Mark 1, don't tell anybody about this, okay? Instead, go to the priest, let him examine you, and, and whatever. Um, but in verse 45, it said, but the man went and spread the word proclaiming to everyone what happened. As a result, the large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't even publicly enter a town. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. So the movement grows like crazy, okay? Um, because a private healing goes really public. So, so Jesus told this guy, keep it quiet. The guy was like, nope, I'm not going to. Word spreads, everybody starts to hear about this. There's already been a movement, but now it just starts to mushroom, okay? So that's, that's what's happening. And because he's making such a stir, because he's becoming such a big deal now, the authorities, the teachers of the law, they get interested and they decide to start checking things out for themselves a little closer. 
just to, to analyze things, to keep their eye on this kind of stuff because they were the ones with the power. They were the ones in control. Um, so here we go. So that's what sets up this story in Mark 2. All right. So, so this, the next verse, literally, after, after we hear about um, everybody coming and following. Um, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. So he's back, he's back kind of in his home, his home area. Um, soon the house he was staying at, we don't know whose, but maybe um, James and John's house, possibly maybe Peter's house. He had been there before um, healing his mother-in-law. So soon the house that they were staying at was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. Okay, so just get this image in your mind that people are crowded in. Jesus is teaching Okay, uh, they just want to be near him, but huge numbers, all right? Um, so, what's happening at this point then? Um, while he was preaching God's word to them. Okay, so Jesus is unpacking the scriptures, all right? Teaching God's word, taking whatever the reading of the day was, or maybe picking his own from, from the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. Uh, getting ready, he's teaching, the words are coming alive. It says in verse 3, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Um, so I've had a lot of, uh, of time down here in, in my little Zoom uh, studio in the basement, and I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not terribly disappointed to be leaving that at the beginning of June. Um, but here's the thing about our house. It is super flimsy. I love our house, but the walls are paper thin. So if someone's walking above me, I can hear it as if they're walking on my head. If my kids are talking even quietly, I can hear it all the time um, during literally right now. And they're being incredibly quiet at the moment, uh, maybe because they know I'm talking about them. But, but anyways, I am prone to distractions. So, so constantly, as I'm teaching here over these last months, you know, if something happens or if I hear somebody walking around, like I have to focus and keep myself in the moment, right? Um, I'm just, I'm easily distracted like that. So I can't imagine this moment where Jesus is teaching and all of a sudden, like stuff starts to fall from the ceiling, right? Like right at his feet, all around him, maybe, maybe dirt and, and, and grime starts to actually fall on his head. And he has to have this moment of like, do I keep teaching? Do I acknowledge this? Do I ignore it? Do I try to move on? Other people are getting distracted. Do I really lean in and, and like hit my point home real strong? Or do I just pause and let this thing be? We don't know, but we can just imagine this kind of dramatic moment. And eventually the roof itself doesn't just kind of crumble, but it gets pulled back. And so the sunlight maybe begins to come into the room and all of a sudden everybody pauses and directs their attention to whatever's happening. All right. So, so these four men um, can't get to Jesus by normal way. So they climb up, find the roof. The roof would have been kind of a thatched mud, straw sort of a thing. They pull it back um, and they actually make a huge hole big enough to lower this man on his mat. Okay. They lowered him down right in front of Jesus, it says in verse 4. All right? Um, and, uh, and, and so so the cool thing is these guys have such a deep belief that if they get their friend close to Jesus, something beautiful will happen. He will be healed. Okay? This is what Jesus has been doing. All right? So, so it's, it's incredible um, that the, the faith that they display in the midst of this. And that's what Jesus sees. 
So the first thing that Jesus notices in Mark 2, 5, seeing their faith, seeing their faith, the faith of the friends, Jesus says to the paralyzed man, pause, what do we know Jesus is about to say? What has Jesus been doing this entire time? What he's been doing is he's been healing people, right? Um, if we've been following, Jesus is deeply moved in, in his spirit when he sees how much these friends love their buddy, okay, or whatever, or how much they believe that Jesus can transform, whatever. And if we've been following everything in Mark's gospel, we know what's about to happen is Jesus, just like the leper, right? Just like Simon's mother-in-law, just like all those with the diseases, we are geared up for Jesus to say, be healed. Or we are geared up for Jesus to say, stand up or grab your mat. You're walking home. Whatever the case is, we are ready for this moment. And so is the crowd. Okay. And that's what we've been primed for. But that's not what Jesus does. He looks at this man suffering and he looks at him with compassion and he calls him son, calls him child. All right. Not in a derogatory form that son is sometimes used these days. But, but in an endearing term, he says to my son, my child, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, not what we expect. And so there's this kind of hush that falls over the place. Kind of a, a, a silence maybe filled with, filled with beauty for some, filled with wonder, filled with some confusion. And for one group in particular, the Pharisees, filled with deep concern and disbelief. We're told in verse 6, but some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Okay? The Pharisees hear this as blasphemy. Of course, now priests could proclaim the forgiveness of sins with a sacrifice at the temple. They could proclaim God's forgiveness. But... To grant forgiveness like this directly was astounding. Um, that was God's job, all right? So, so Jesus senses this. The next verse, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, all right? So he asks them a question. He knew, we, we don't know if he knew this because um, he actually could read their minds or if their body language or um, the, the whispering back and forth gave it away. We don't know if he just knew that when he did something like this, it would trigger the Pharisees. We have no idea where and how he figures this out, but it is clear as day to Jesus. I mean, probably all of those things, honestly. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? So that's the question that he gives. Why... Do you question this? Whoops. In your hearts. Important question. All right. Important question to, for, for us to, to sit with. Why do you question this in your hearts? And then he goes on and he says this. Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up? pick up your mat and walk. So he asks him a question. He says, which is easier anyways? Now, notice he doesn't say, is it easier to forgive or heal? What he says is, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to stay, pick up your mat and walk? So the point that Jesus is making here is between these two things, which one, which one doesn't need proof? 
the forgiveness, right? It's easy to say, I forgive sins. Like he's saying, I've actually been healing people all this time, miraculously. You're upset because I just spoke a word of forgiveness, but that's easier, right? It's easier to say that than it is to, uh, to, to heal. But, but wait, if, if what you need is to understand that I actually am doing what I say I'm doing, that I have the authority, then listen to this. He says, so I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Now, all is talking about the crowd. The crowd, when Mark writes, there's always a difference between the crowd, which is the common people, and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are not particularly amazed by this. From this point on, they are referred to as enemies of Jesus. Okay? So Jesus says, listen... You expected me to only heal the body, and that's what everybody's been doing. But I want to show you something even deeper. That I have the power to forgive sins. Straight up. And if you don't think I can, then just look at what I am able to do. And I will remind you that I have all the authority I need. This is absolutely fantastic. There's interestingly, there's a whole lot of dynamic characters in this story. There's the crowd, there's the disciples, there's the man's friends, there's Jesus, um, there's the teachers of the law. Do you notice that one person is like noticeably devoid of any character development, right? It's like the paralyzed guy. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know why he's just like the, the dude on the mat is like a prop, right? Uh, he just lies there and then he gets up and he leaves. I have no purposeful insight on that. I just think it's absolutely fascinating that Mark was like not focused on the story of, of paralyzed Patrick at all, you know? And, and, and that goes to help us understand that the point wasn't the healing. The point was the response to it of this story, right? Clearly, Mark wants us to see and notice what is happening in the Pharisees' heads and hearts. That's the point. Throughout this entire story, they are unable, like we are, to really see the paralytic. He is no character to them, even though the opportunity is there for them to rejoice, to delight in what God is doing, to celebrate the redemption of body and soul, right? But here's the thing. The Pharisees, they know how God works. They know he's on their side. And so they're too busy coming up with religious objections to celebrate what Jesus is doing, and they miss it all. All right, so let's look at what's actually going on here. Um, so, so let's talk about what the, this is. Like, why do you question this in your hearts? What is it that Jesus is questioning? Or that, I'm sorry, that the Pharisees are questioning. What is, what is the this? There's, there's two things. The first one is they're questioning the forgiveness, right? And the second one is they're questioning the deity or the authority. They're questioning the forgiveness first, right? Um, and th that is promised to this man. What do you mean you could just forgive his sins? And the second is that they're questioning Jesus' deity. How do you have the authority to do that? Who really are you or who do you think you are? Who do you think you are is probably a good question. Okay. So, so the second question then that we ask is why? Why? Are they so 
against. So objectioning to the forgiveness. And the reason for that is because, number one, it's so undeserved. Have you noticed that? that? That's part of the mystery of a story like this. The man didn't ask for forgiveness. You know, it was, it was completely undeserved forgiveness. Um, he, he didn't do the work to get there, right? In fact, we don't hear any evidence of his faith in word or action. His friends brought him. It was their faith that moves Jesus to forgiveness, not his, right? It just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't fit with, with the understanding of the teachers of the law about how forgiveness is earned through sacrifices, through priestly duties, and through repentance. This is how you get there. Jesus just bypassed all of it, and they're not okay with that. And secondly, this deity, like, why do they question the deity is because there's this, um, there's, um, this, this idea of an unexpected humanity that emerges from God. And by unexpected humanity, I mean that they don't have a framework for how God could actually be in form in front of them. It's demeaning to even consider that, right? Um, God can't look human. It's too beneath God. And it's arrogant for this man to even claim it. So Jesus does a God-only thing by offering forgiveness, undeserved forgiveness at that, right? And, and thereby stakes his claim as God. But God was supposed to be, right, unknowable, outside of reach. And this Jesus, he was too knowable. They even knew where he came from, right? He's, he's right there in front of them, physically accessible as a person. How could this be God? It doesn't, it doesn't fit, okay? And so one more as we're looking and unpacking this. So, so they're questioning the forgiveness and the deity of Jesus because the forgiveness is so undeserved and the deity is so unexpected in human form. But the other thing here is the heart's part. Why do you question this in your hearts? That's slightly different than, than Jesus just saying, why are you questioning this? Or why are you questioning it in your heads or in your mind? Because that keeps it up here. But the heart is the emotional center and, and, and the deepest core of the body and of, of the human emotions, okay? And so, so there's this idea that this statement is not simply about them thinking the wrong things. It's not just about the rules. They're questioning this at their core, at the core of who they are. There is an issue here that they don't want this to be good news. They don't want this guy to be forgiven, right? He hasn't done enough work for it. They don't know if he's clean or, or repentant. Um, he wasn't even the one with faith, like I just said. And they don't also want to consider what it would really mean if Jesus really was God, because that blows the doors off of all of their religious constructions and off of all of our religious constructions as well, over and over again. So deep in their hearts, the Pharisees have a chance here. They have a chance to delight in God's freely given forgiveness or to balk at it. And they balk at it. Because they don't want to grasp who Jesus is. They don't want to grasp that Jesus isn't simply the spokesperson for the authority. He is the authority. He is the authority to forgive. Just like the Pharisees, we often kind of 
we question things in our hearts. We allow things to take root in us and grow and occupy significant space. We think that we sometimes know better than God uh, what is and what should be. We think that we have got all the things figured out about how God works in the world and what God's role is in each and everything. And so today Jesus might ask us um, maybe an updated version of this same question of why do you question this in your hearts? It'd be, why are you resistant to what I'm doing? Or where are you resistant to what I'm doing? For some of you, that question might be even more specific. What power are you holding on to? Rather than acknowledging the depth of suffering that's happening and the opportunity for compassion in our world. What power are you holding on to instead of embracing God's compassionate heart? For some of you, the question might be, what grace are you unwilling to offer other people? People that God is freely forgiving, but that you want to continue to hold things over. Or people that you don't think are deserving. For some of you, the question is much more personal. Are you resistant to the forgiveness that God declares in your own life because it feels so radical and you've been taught that nothing good is free? Are you still trying so hard to earn your way into God's good standing? Are you still trying so hard to impress Jesus when all Jesus wants is for you to walk lightly with him and work with him? Where are you resistant in your spirit? Where might that be? Jesus is declaring undeserved forgiveness. Jesus is inviting us to walk with him in his unexpected humanity. He's displaying God right in front of us. Where do you question in your hearts? The kingdom of God is open for each of us to walk in, so maybe... Maybe it's time for us to acknowledge where our objections are with the goodness of Jesus or where our objections are with the godness of Jesus and to continue to move on. Because Jesus is going to continue to surprise the world with unexpected forgiveness or undeserved forgiveness and unexpected humanity. Uh, They're both gifts to us as people. That humanity means that he understands our struggles and our brokenness, right? Uh, within us and around us. It means he understands the sin and suffering in the world because he's walked in it. He's experienced suffering. He's seen and received sinful people's actions, right? He understands the lives that are taken too soon and unjustly. He understands those who are tired and weary. He understands the people who are filled with anger. He understands the ones filled with fear. He understands the poor who are suffering, the sick that are hurting, all of it, the lost, the lonely. And he's available in the midst of it. We can reach out and like the story says, we can dig through roofs on behalf of our neighbors, knowing that if we help people get exposed to who the heart of God is in Jesus, they will walk away transformed. He's ready to offer healing, forgiveness to us, to the world. So, two more questions here. What will we do when we are in the position of the teachers of the law and we look and we see Jesus acting this way toward others. 
Will we celebrate the beauty of undeserved forgiveness for other people, or will we grumble that they didn't play by the rules? That they can't be forgiven because they don't feel bad enough, right? Will we look at the way that Jesus redefined God, and will we become embittered because it seems unfair? Will we cling to our chosen Old Testament imagery to promote the God that we're comfortable with, who is often vengeful, retributive, or full of, of high and holy rules and systems for how it all works? By the way, that's not what the Old Testament is. It's just what we are tempted to do with it when Jesus is a little too radical for us. Um, will we, like the teachers of the law, feel like Jesus goes just a little too far with healing whomever and forgiving whomever he wants. And here's the final thing. When, when Jesus speaks directly to us, when we move across the room and we find ourselves on the mat, uh, will we let that grace transform us? What happens in our hearts then? Will we let the humanity of God in Jesus bring us into intimacy and knowingness of who God is so that we can walk with God, the unknowable having become known and available to us? Will we let forgiveness take root, right? Will we rise as Jesus speaks healing to our bodies, our spirits, our minds, our emotions? I hope so. There's such good news in this story, but we have to decide where in the room we're going to place ourselves. We'll be the ones that celebrate with awe and wonder. We'll be the ones that walk away healed. We'll be, will we be the ones that deeply are willing to rip off roofs because of our love for our friends and neighbors? Uh, or will we look on and say, that's just not how the rules are supposed to do. It's not how it's supposed to be. Let's pray. Lord, let these things be so in our lives. Search our hearts, the, the questions, the objections that we sometimes have to how radical your grace is. Forgive us for the times that we've turned your beauty and your love into a formula that we require other people to force, uh, that we force other people into instead of simply inviting people to experience you and delighting in your free forgiveness. Help us, Lord, um, to be a part of the kingdom you proclaim and to not be resistant to it. Amen.